Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. I, um, I think some of you were here probably a few weeks ago. We made an announcement that we are and have appointed, and it, uh, has, they've really been appointed, to the Alaska uh, Anchorage, Alaska Foursquare Church, the Skyline Foursquare Church in Alaska. And that is our pastor, Jim and Terry Fortner, are going to be headed out the door and down, or excuse me, down, it's up, a long way up to Alaska. What we wanted to do today is I wanted them to come forward and uh, we're going to lay hands on them and send them out in the name of Jesus. We want to do that together. And so, Jim and Terry, would you come up here and our other pastors and elders? They've been with us. Jim and Terry have been with us for about 14 years and we have been so blessed by their ministry and their faithfulness here at New Life Foursquare Church. They're going to be heading up there and they'll be starting two weeks from this weekend. They'll be starting their first service at Skyline Foursquare Church and uh, I'm thankful for that. I, I've been talking to Jim and Terry about this whole transition and I told them that I have a lot of mixed feelings and the reason I do is because we are ascending church. We want to make disciples and this is how we do it. We send people out to do the work of the ministry. Um, uh, typically, it'll be in different places all around the world. Alaska feels like another world, so you'll be headed there and, and be taking the responsibility of that church. And really, that's kind of your roots. Your kids, your family members are there, and, and so we want to do this with a, with a grateful heart. And the mixed emotion is that you, you hate to see people that you love go. You hate to see them leave and go somewhere else and really start kind of a, a new life together. I know we're going to stay connected. I don't so much, uh, I'm not bothered much by sending people away that I don't like, but I really like you guys. So, uh, I, you know, I really do. And I'm so thankful for, for our uh, friendship and what's gone on here at this church with your and through your ministry. And so today we're going to pray for them and ask God just to bless them. This is a biblical stance that we take. We're following God's word. The word of God says when you get together and for those that seem right to be sent, for those that have proven themselves faithful in the word of God, that you lay hands on them and you send them to wherever God would have them to go. And that's what we're going to do today. That's exactly what we want to accomplish today. I've said this in the last couple services and I'm going to say it again. And that is before last night's uh, service. The Lord really gave me a picture, a word, I hope an encouraging word to this couple. And it really had to do with this season, this time of year. Because when they head up to Alaska, they're fully aware of the fact that it won't be too long that it is, it is pitch black at three in the afternoon. I mean, winter is coming and darkness is falling. And, and it, it is dark. I've been up there when it gets dark early and, and, and darkness, I mean, it, it, it envelops you. And, uh, and I was thinking about that and, and the Lord's timing with all this. And the Lord said they will be light bearers. They're going to be torch bearers as they go up to this place in Anchorage. And we really believe that. We believe that the light of Jesus is vibrant, alive in your life, and that when you go to this place that seasonally is getting dark, that your light will shine. And that light is the gospel of Jesus Christ as you live it out in that community. And these people, I know they're waiting, they're desperate for something like this, and so you'll bring that, that refreshment and that light that they, that they need to have in their own lives. And so that's the, the word of the Lord to you today, and I want you to be encouraged by that. And so what we're going to do right now is we're just going to pray. We're going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask that you would stand with us, and uh, as is our custom here, you would extend your hands forward, and we will pray for uh, Jim and Terry together. Let's do that. Extend your hands forward if you would. Father, we are so thankful for this faithful couple and what you've done in and through their lives here at this particular faith community, for this church, for this body. You've been so faithful to us. You've been so faithful to them. Lord, I thank you for what you've forged out in their lives, especially in the last four or five years, that you have made them ready for this way. You've made them ready for this assignment. And we thank you for your readiness and your preparation, of which we can never altogether predict. We can only be obedient. And this couple has been obedient to your word. They've gotten their hearts ready and their minds ready 
Marty. And now, Lord Jesus, we're sending them to Anchorage, Alaska, to Skyline Foursquare Church. And Lord, that they would be great and wonderful shepherds there as they've been here. So Father, we do what your word tells us to do. We lay hands on them and we anoint them with oil. And we thank you, Father, that you have done a good work and will continue to do a good work. And Lord, is that oil represents the power and, and uh, the setting upon us by your Holy Spirit that you would do that, that you would make a way, that you would remove any barriers that would be in the way spiritually now, prepare the hearts of these new people, this flock, this new flock that they're going to. And Lord, that this would be just really a match made in heaven, that there would be a, a unity that would happen, that there would be a, a grace that would follow and be with them. Father, we just thank you for that, Lord. And even as we part company physically, we know that our hearts are always bound together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are what brings us together. And we thank you that we have that in our lives, that we can lift you up and we can say we are part of your family family wherever we go on this planet. Lord, we know that's true right here today and we speak that truth and we pray over their lives. As we have seen and understood in Jim and Terry's life, they've adopted that, 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 that statement of the Apostle Paul where he says, I determined not to know anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let that be the center. Let that be the light. May they be torchbearers for you. Let them bring the light of the gospel in a dark world to this place in Jesus. Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen and amen, 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 amen. Blessings, blessings. Blessings, my friend. Blessings, my friend. Blessings. Good. Blessings, my friend. Blessings. <laughs> yeah. Blessing, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the Lord has done so much to prepare the way for this transition, and I know it's been going on. Um, it's been going on for years. Most of it we haven't been able to see with our, of course, our natural eyes. Had no way of knowing exactly how this was going to unfold, but excited in the last few months to see how the Lord makes this happen. I mean, they're going to be with family. Terry is even being, she works with Alaska Airlines. She's going to be transferred up there and get a job. She has a job waiting for her. And so all of this is good, and we're we're thankful for this. I'm going to ask that you just continue to pray. We are a sending church. Thank you for being so faithful with that kind of ministry. It's a ministry that raises up disciples. We want to send people out to make more disciples. That's really the commission we've been given. And I want to thank you for participating in that commission, for putting your hands on the plow and seeing this work out, to see this done. I'm so thankful and privileged that we're part of something like this. So great, so great to expand the kingdom of God. Well, today I want you to do this. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to continue our study, uh, Empowered for Life. It's a study in the book of Ephesians. I've subtitled these last few weekends, and this weekend as well, as Preparing for Life's Battles, part 3. And it's a study out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Now what you need to know is every weekend I'm reading the same scripture over and over again. I'm reading all of the verses from 10 to 20 for a reason. The reason I'm doing that is so that you never forget that you have been equipped to win. You have been equipped to be more than conquerors in Jesus. This scripture makes it very clear to me that God has never intended for you to live this life alone. He's never intended for you to live this life undefended. And so he tells us here, this is how you can be more than a conqueror. This is how you can live a victorious life. And he tells us so much in these few verses. And I want to begin by reading verses 10 through 20, beginning at verse 10. And you can follow along with me. It says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, 
with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now I want to reiterate, remind you of some things that we've already covered out of this passage of scripture. And the one thing that really jumps out at me here is that phrase or that command to stand, to stand firm. The Apostle Paul uses that four times in verses 11 through 14. And he's making a point there. He's making a statement. How important it is for us to stand firm in the days that we live. And the reason I want that to be clear to you and to all of us is because there are certain traditions, charismatic Pentecostal traditions, that, that unless you're advancing, you're really not doing much for the gospel. You know, Unless you're advancing, you're, you're really not that healthy. Well, that can be the furthest thing from the truth, really. It's standing firm in life's battles. There are times, and most of the time, God says, take this ground, but then stand firm. Hold your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand fast. Paul is telling us this in the way of a command. He's telling us, stand your ground. Stand firm in your marriage. Stand firm with your children. Stand firm over your finances. Stand firm in your family. You remember we're covering the articles of armor here and last weekend we covered the first two. We covered the girdle of, of truth or truthfulness. It's the waistband of truth or truthfulness. And that's the way it's stated. Remember that every item mentioned in the armor of God has an action verb to it. It isn't something that, that you just think about. It's something that you do. And so the Apostle Paul says here, put on that belt of truthfulness in your life. What does that do for us? Well, the belt in battle does a couple things. It protects your midsection, that's for sure. But it also gives you freedom, mobility on the battlefield. And you need that. You need to know what's coming all around you. You need to be aware of that. That's what the belt of truth does. And he also says, put in place the breastplate of righteousness or right living. What he's saying here is live right. Do the good things, the right things. Now listen, doing good does not get you to heaven. Doing good does not get you favor with God. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is that if you already know you've been saved, if you already appreciate the grace that God has brought to your life, then what the result will be, the fruit of that will be good works. And that good works fends off the enemy's attacks. He's saying that that is the breastplate of righteousness put in place. So today what I want to look at is go over the next four articles that are mentioned in this armor. And so to do that, look at verse 15 and see what it says. It says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, this phrase may sound familiar to some of you. I mean, it may have a familiar ring because Paul is drawing from an Old Testament scripture. That Old Testament scripture is found in Isaiah 52, verse 7, and it says this. It says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, and I'm going to say this with no exaggeration, what it says here, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. It's to be declared. It's to be shouted out as a, as a battle cry. When you put these two verses together, when you put Isaiah 52, 7, and, and this Ephesians 6, 15, when you put them together, you have this wonderful picture of a soldier whose feet Get the God work done. Someone is working for the kingdom. Someone is getting the God work done. 
I like to describe it in another way. These are called gospel feet right here. These are really true gospel feet. I'm going to tell you why your feet are so important. Because your feet get the job done. Now you can have good intentions, but if your feet don't get to where they're supposed to be, all they do is remain good intentions. You can have all the hope you want to see something accomplished, but unless your feet take you there, it's not going to get accomplished. You can be a well-wisher all you want, but unless your feet do the job, it's not going to get done. And so Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he tells us that our feet are important to seeing and carrying out the gospel message, to see it take place in this planet, in this earth, and the time that we live. He's saying, put on the gospel feet. And so I was thinking about what do gospel feet really look like? I mean, I I came up with a few things. One is, they are intentional. Did you know that gospel feet are intentional feet? Gospel feet just go where they're supposed to go. And that's why I love how Jesus models this for us. There's this great passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 4. It's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And he's about looking for disciples. And it says this in verse 18. It says, and as he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. As he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. What was his feet doing? His feet were going after disciples. Now, he could have stayed in the synagogue. He could have stayed with his mom and dad. He could have stayed with friends and said, boy, I wish we could have disciples. It would be wonderful to have disciples. It would be great to have disciples. But he understood a principle here. He understood that his feet needed to get up and go so disciples could be made. That's what he understood. You see, that's the value of our feet shod or fitted with the gospel of peace. They are intentional feet. They don't wander. They don't hesitate. They're confident in the message they bring. And that message is the good news of Jesus Christ. I, um, I love the old sitcoms. In fact, the other night I sat down, and I haven't seen this in a while myself, but I sat down with my granddaughter and grandson, and we watched the old Dennis the Menace. I mean, it was, it was great. We just sat there, and, and we watched. And my granddaughter just, she laughed from her belly the whole time. She thought this Dennis the Menace was the greatest guy. And I realized they're alike. That's why she was laughing. And so I, I was listening to this and watching this, and I thought, I love this. I love. So I went back the next night. Annette was out of town, so I, I go over and hang out with the kids. And I went back the next night, and she goes, Papa, can we watch Dennis the Menace again? I said, yeah, let's watch it together. And so we watched these old shows, and one of my favorite old shows was the Beverly Hillbillies. You remember that one? I, uh, the song they sang at the end when they were telling you to come back next week was, uh, have a heap and helping of our hospitality. And then sit down a spell. Take your shoes off. See, the idea here is to relax. Make yourself at home. Take it easy. Do nothing for a while. Can I say this? The apostle Paul was talking about the opposite of the Beverly Hillbillies. He was talking about putting your shoes on. He was talking about getting the job done. He was talking about serving God. With all that's in you. He was saying, hey, your feet are really what get this job done. So let your feet carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have gospel feet. I want to pray over my feet. God, give me gospel feet. Let my feet do what you want them to do. I remember when my daughter was little, we just got done painting the hallway. And and we knew she was going to be walking up and down the hallway. And we said, honey, don't put your hands on the wall. The wall has paint on them. And so she was walking down the hall going, don't touch the walls, don't touch the walls, don't touch the walls, don't touch the walls. She was talking to her hands like they were separate from her brain. You know, I, I want to say the same thing to my feet. Go do the gospel, go do the gospel. Get the gospel work done. That's what gospel feet look like. They carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. They're not only intentional feet, but they're well-balanced feet. That's the other thing you see here about footing. Footing is important, but especially in battle. That's what you need to be aware of. And here are some ancient shoes that a a warrior, a Roman soldier would wear. You see what they would do on the bottom? They would have these kind of makeshift spikes. They would put them there because they knew something. They knew that if they lost their footing, they lost their life. That you have to maintain good footing. In fact, in the training of a Roman soldier, a great deal of time was spent doing something. You would think it would be spent swinging a sword. It wasn't spent swinging a sword. It was spent 
on how to keep your footing, how to posture yourself for battle, how to know where the enemy's coming from and put yourself in a place where you have an advantage. That's what these shoes are made for. They're well-balanced feet. But we know our foundation, and they need to be on this foundation. A good, solid foundation is Jesus Christ. The psalmist says this in Psalm 31.3. He says, you are my rock and my fortress. For the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. He's saying this in the context and the environment of war. He's not just saying this about just going home and just relaxing and taking it easy. He said, I need you. I need the rock under my feet so that I can be victorious. So our foundation is sure. Our foundation is constant. Where do we place our feet? We place our feet on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says here. We must be anchored in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're trying to put your feet firmly in the world or in our economy or in our social life and whatever's going on, you will slip and fall. It's a slippery slope. Uh, about two years ago, almost two years ago, uh, right before Thanksgiving, it was during one of those ice storms that we had, and, and I knew it was a short week, so I thought, well, I'll get in early in the week, and I'll get some work done, and, and then I'll be ready for Thanksgiving. And so I went into the office, it was early morning, and I went in and did some work, and I took some back stairs out of the property, and lo and behold, I was on my back before I even knew it. I hit some icy steps, and I was gone. I looked like Bambi on ice, man. I had my feet were going everywhere and I thought wow that happened fast I didn't even have time to catch anything and I thought to myself you know this is what happens when you put your feet in other places rather than on the solid rock of Jesus Christ our feet are to be firmly planted on the rock when my boys were uh, young teenagers my second son went to his mom and he said mom I want to do something. And this kid's kind of an extreme athlete. He still is. He does all the aerial stuff. He, he's done everything almost. And he said, I want to do this. I want to sword fight. I want to learn how to sword fight. In other words, he was saying, I want to learn how to fence. I want to be a, a fencer. Well, Annette went on the internet and found out that we're close to one of the largest fencing communities in the nation and maybe the world, and it's right here in Oregon. Now, Oregon Episcopal School has a fencing school. In fact, a gold medalist. Uh, uh, it was Sarah Zainga just won a gold medal, and she's from here, and our kids sparred with her when she was younger, and, and it's a great place to go. And so Annette was saying, hey, we've got this place to go. It's really close. And so the three of us just decided to do this together. And their instructors are like world champions. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll do this together. And, and I don't know if you know this, but there are three disciplines in fencing. There, there is the foil, there's the epee, and there is the saber. And so my son Ryan just wanted to know one thing. He said, which sword do you get to hit people with? That's the sword I want to use. He doesn't want to use the epee because you can't. He doesn't want to use the foil because you can't do it that way. He wanted the saber because the saber, you can whack people. And it's legal. And boy, I'll tell you, if you've ever been hit on the mask with a saber, it rings your bell. I mean, you don't know which way is up. And that's what he wanted to do. He said, give me the sword I can, I can whack with. And so we said, that's the saber. I'll tell you, folks, I've never been so worked out in all my life. I mean, I went, put on that uniform, you know. And you know the, the, the baseline to all of this? I mean, to be a successful fencer, it's footwork. It's all about your feet. I don't know how many of you have ever watched a fencing match go on, but it starts and ends just like that. I mean, all of a sudden, someone's going, yeah! And I'm going, what just happened? I didn't see it. It's because someone got to put, they just, they're so fast with their feet. They know how to get in, get out. They know exactly how to posture themselves when they're facing an opponent. Footwork is everything when you're swinging a sword. You need to remember that in this, this teaching that Paul gives us here. He's saying, hey, put on, put on the gospel of peace. Put it on your feet so that you can be balanced, so that you can get accomplished what needs to be accomplished. There's a story in the gospel that is so endearing to me and I want to share it with you and I think it has everything to do with what we're talking about here. It's in John chapter 12. It's in verse 3. It's the place where the gospel writer says this about a particular woman named Mary. 
And he said after she did this, she would be known to everyone for all time. Isn't that amazing? You know what she did? She had this simple act of worship. She went and she got this treasured bottle of perfume and she brought it to Jesus and she broke it. She didn't put it on his head. She didn't put it on his hands. She anointed his feet with that. And immediately when I, when I read that in the gospel of John chapter 3, I think of Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely are the feet of those that bring good news. You know what I think was happening there? I think God just inspired Mary to do it that way at that particular moment. Because as much as your heart and head want to get something done, it doesn't happen until your feet do it. And I think Jesus needed that encouragement. You can see him openly wrestle with this. Father, boy, if it's your will for this cup to be passed from me, so be it. But if not, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this. You see, his head and heart knew what needed to be done, but for, in, for, for it to get done, in order for it to happen, it would be his feet that would get him there. And folks, it was his feet that carried the cross from Caiaphas' house up the way of sorrows onto Calvary. It was his feet that bore our sins upon his own shoulders so that we could have everlasting life, that we could be redeemed. He didn't just think about it. Friends, he did it. We need to have gospel feet. We have a lot of good intentions and we, we think a lot of good thoughts and we have a lot of good ideas, but are we getting it done? The only way you're going to get done what needs to be done is get your gospel feet moving in the right direction. And here I know in this story, those feet being anointed had to be just a personal encouragement to Jesus. Friends hanging out at his house and they pour this oil on his feet. And I know in his own mind, his own heart, he's saying, this is, this is from God. This is a prophetic word from God. He will anoint my feet to bring good news. He will anoint my feet to carry a cross so that the world could be redeemed. Friends, never underestimate the value of your feet getting somewhere. We need gospel feet today. Gospel feet get the job done. They are intentional and they are well-balanced feet. Now you go on and you look at verse 16 and it tells us, it says this, in addition to this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now some of you remember last weekend I talked about the two kinds of shields that a Roman soldier would use. There was the small shield which was for close quarter combat or hand to hand combat. But then there's the larger shield. It was oh about four feet high, about two feet long. And typically it was covered with leather on the front. I'll explain that in a minute to you as to why it had leather there. But it was used when a brigade would to get together, a battalion would get together. They would carry these, and when they came into enemy range of the fiery arrows or the darts, they would put those shields up around the perimeter, put them over the top of their head, and they would move almost like a tank, a human tank. They were impenetrable. You couldn't get a fiery dart. You couldn't get a, a fiery arrow to go through. And so they would just carry these. And each soldier would stand side by side holding up his shield. And the enemy would be faced with this solid wall of shields. Row after row after row. It made the army impenetrable. Now the key here is doing this with other soldiers. And this is where I want to stop for a moment. Because I, I think there's something we need to know in our own hearts. We need to know that while we're outfitted well personally with the armor of God, we need other soldiers coming alongside us to help us. And again, I think there are people that are just worn out because they've tried to do this alone. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're battling, whatever battlefield you're on, you're trying to do it alone. And God says, you don't need to do this alone. You have other soldiers. You have other warriors that will come alongside. They'll help you. So when the enemy shoots those fiery arrows, the Bible says, and they, they'll be extinguished in the shield of faith. Now, back to the leather. The leather was there for a reason. Let me tell you what it was. They would take that leather, and they would soak that leather in water all night long before the, before the battle would happen. They would soak it, and they would, then they would put it on, and then they would go out to battle, and when a fiery arrow hit one of those shields, it extinguished the fire on the tip of the arrow. Paul understood this. He understood the tactics here. 
And I thought, wow, this is amazing because all of a sudden that fire is gone. You know what fire, I, I, when I think of fire, especially in any close quarter combat, I, I, I think of panic. Fire causes panic. I mean, that's what happens. If something catches on fire, there's just panic. And I think what Paul's saying here is when that fiery dart is extinguished, you have no reason to panic. I would imagine when that fire was extinguished on the shield of a soldier that everybody's blood pressure would just drop. I mean, their pulse rate would go down. You're still in battle, but you don't have fire to deal with anymore. That's a whole different element. Paul's saying here that your shield of faith extinguishes that fiery dart from the enemy. That's exactly what your faith does. It makes you impenetrable, especially when you're marching side by side with fellow soldiers. Again, keep in mind that Paul is talking about our behavior. Everything in here is about the way we live. He's not referring to some religious faith. He's not referring to, when he talks about faith here, he's not referring to a creed. He's talking about faithfulness. It's about your faith in action. Now, the fiery darts of the wicked one come fast and furious. There's no doubt about that. I mean, they come fast and furious. So what do they look like? What do those fiery darts or arrows look like? Well, I can tell you one that I know hits me, and that's doubt. Doubt is one of those. I'm not talking about just asking questions. That's not, I mean, the Bible's full of people asking questions. Don't ever have anybody tell you that the Bible's narrow-minded and never ask questions. The Bible's full of more questions than any other piece of literature. He just, uh, straight across the board. You know who's the great question asker? is David. David said, God, why are you doing this to me? God, why are you leaving me alone? God, what do I do? God, where do I go? God, God, help me. I need you. What do I do? I'm not talking about asking questions. I'm talking about unbelief. I'm talking about a promise that God has given you in his word and unbelief creeps in. Because honestly, really, the enemy has used this tactic from way back when. The book of Genesis talks to us about that. When the enemy goes to Eve and he says, why aren't you supposed to eat that fruit on that tree? And she says, because God has said not to. And the enemy responds by saying, hath God really said that? Shoo. A fiery dart. Doubt. I think another one is fear. I think that's a flaming arrow that paralyzes us from moving ahead in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in relationships. You know the feeling of being paralyzed by fear? You start to move ahead and it may seem out of the ordinary what God's asked you to do and all of a sudden you stop in your tracks and you think to yourself, what are other people going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm crazy? Are they going to think I'm nuts? I don't know. Oh, this is crazy. Should I do this? And you just stop in fear. Shoo. It's a fiery dart. I think there's another fiery dart to mention here, and that's vain imaginations. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and vain imaginations that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are vain imaginations? Well, I think it's simple. These are thoughts that do not promote God. Rather, they promote yourself. They're very selfish. They don't get you anywhere. Does that make sense? I mean, it's all about me and what I want, what I need, where I'm going. Those are vain imaginations that don't get anything accomplished for the kingdom of God. There's no way to advance in your mind there. It says here to take every thought into captivity in Christ Jesus. That we need to train our thoughts and our mind to move ahead and be thinking the things that God wants us to think. It's advancing in your mind. It's advancing in your thought life. I played... Um, a little football in high school and college. And I was a running back. And I remember uh, there was a guy that was uh, running back with me. And uh, he was kind of one of those guys that was a legend in his own mind. You know, he thought he was really better than he was. And, 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 and you know, poor guy. But, but he, he was under, a, he was disillusioned. You know, that's all it was. And, and uh, he would go out on the playing field and they would call his play. And, and the poor guy, he, he, he would run around in, in circles almost. He just never, he never went across the line of scrimmage. But the odd thing about the way he thought is he would come back and he'd say, hey, you see that run? I mean, I ran 30 yards. And I said, bro, 30 yards does not count behind the line of scrimmage. It does not count. That's called scrambling. The only way you get on the statistic book for gaining yards is when you go beyond the yard of scrimmage. That is gaining yards. It's not running around behind the 
the line of scrimmage, wasting all this energy, thinking that you're doing something that good. I think there might be a lot of Christians that are running around doing a lot of stuff, but you're not going beyond the line of scrimmage in heaven. I mean, you're not going beyond the line of scrimmage on earth. And you think, wow, look at all the yardage I ran. You ran a whole lot. But did you get anything done? Boy, isn't that something you got to look at your own life and wonder? It says here that when we're thinking on the things that we're to think on, good things happen. That we would make profitable the way we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's the the next thing that comes in verse 17. And it's really attached to what we've just talked about here. Because it talks about here, it says, take the helmet of salvation. Paul is talking about the way that you think. That you're not going to let the enemy rinse space up in your head. And just like a helmet protects your head, salvation does too. When we meditate on the salvation of the Lord. It's a great place in scripture all through the Psalms. David says something that's pretty profound. And usually it has to do with our salvation. And he ends with this word. He ends with the word selah. What he's saying is, think about your salvation. Chew on that. Think about it. Digest that. You need to think about your salvation because salvation is the helmet that you need to wear. And this is where we can get thrown off. This is where we can get tricked. You know, if an enemy confronts you and he has an easy shot at any part of you, guess which part he's going to want to hit? Your head. He's going to want to hit your head. It's a knockout blow. It's a death blow. And that's why Paul is saying it's so important that you put on the helmet of salvation and you meditate on your salvation. Remember that Paul is speaking to people who are already believers. He isn't asking them to be saved. They're already saved. What he's saying here is use your salvation to protect your head. Now, this is where I think a few people get in trouble. And I know I did early on in my faith in Jesus. And that are... That those are new believers, new believers. Have you ever had this happen? I know I did, where you have this wonderful time with Jesus. You know your life's been changed. The old is gone, the new has come. And then you get away from that event. You get away from that moment, oh, a couple days. And all of a sudden, you start to doubt what happened. Did I really get saved? I mean, was that easy? I mean, how did that really happen? And pretty soon, all those things start setting in. That's when the Bible says it's important that you wear the helmet of salvation. That's why one of the best things you can do as a new believer, and for that matter, all of us, but especially new believers, is go to the Word all the time. Just keep looking at the Word and thinking about salvation. Meditate on your salvation. Paul uses the helmet in connection with salvation, and he does it in another place, another one of his epistles. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He says, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope and helmet of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the helmet of salvation that protects us from despair. It's what protects us from worry. Have you ever had those moments where you're really worrying? There, there's panic that almost sets in and it really has to do with your own spiritual life, your emotional state. Paul says, wear the helmet of salvation and you fend that off. God's salvation protects my head when I meditate on his amazing saving grace. His salvation promises me a bright and beautiful future no matter my present circumstance. Because we can look around us and, and, and we can say, wow, this is really a drag. I mean, where I'm at, the way the world is, all these kinds of things. And despair or depression can set in. Paul says, hey, don't be thinking about those things. When you put on the helmet of salvation, you can see that you have a future, that God has promises for you. See, I think some of us aren't realizing the promises that he's given us. Maybe the Lord has given you a promise about a loved one or a friend or or your job or, or relationship, whatever that might be. And maybe years have gone by even. And you've taken that promise and you've kind of put it up on the shelf and the promise has gotten dusty. You've forgotten about it. God says, hey, take the promises off and wipe them down, shine them up. That's putting on the helmet of salvation. It's seeing it clearly, what God has for you and what he has for me. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, think on these things. 
This is what it looks like to put on the helmet of salvation. Think on those things that are true, those things that are noble, those things that are right, those things that are pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Think on these things. And now you go to verse 17. I love the progression here because Paul refers to the sword of the Spirit. Now maybe you already picked this up. Did you notice out of all the items of armor, you only have one offensive weapon? It's the sword of the Spirit. How critical is that? It's critical. You need to know what the sword of the Spirit is really all about. In this rendering, Paul is not referring to the Bible, meaning the Word of God, or to the New Testament as a whole. He doesn't use the word as it would be used if it was the word logos. The word logos means the whole word of God. Now you need to know the word of God for sure. But he's not referring to the whole word of God here. Rather he uses the word rhema. Rhema means a specific word to you. That it applies to the immediate and it applies to you personally. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe you hear something that strikes at the core of your heart in a message on the weekend or in a small group or in a conversation in your home or somewhere along the way you hear something and it, it, it hits right in here and you go, wow, I need to pay attention to that. What is that? That's the rhema word of God. That's something you need to know that God's brought to you. And the reason he's doing that is so that you can be encouraged at that very moment with the prophetic word of God. But you also use that down the road when the enemy comes, you pull that out as a sword. Jesus used the sword of the spirit when he faced the temptation of the devil in the wilderness. Every time the devil came to tempt him, what did he do? He used the sword of the spirit. He said, get out of here. The same way we do battle. So he puts it in our hearts first, and then we can use that. So it does mean, and you got to know this, to use the rhema word of God, you do need to know the logos as well. You need to know what the word of God says. But those prophetic words are so powerful. The sword of the spirit is that specific word that gives us something prophetic and supernatural. I experienced this, it wasn't too long ago, I was uh, in a conversation with somebody and was trying to maybe, maybe bring a little counsel, a little common sense, and this person I could tell was going down this pattern of, of thinking that wasn't going to end up well, it wasn't going to be healthy, and so I thought maybe I just need to jump in here and I just need to get, save this person, I mean that's what you want to do, you just want to jump in and save the person and, and there was a, this tension and I started feeling it, I need to say something, I need to say something and at that very moment I experienced a rhema word from God and the word was really out of Proverbs eighteen thirteen, where it says he who answers before listening that is his folly and his shame. And so I restrained my, my, my tongue. James says that's the most powerful thing that you can ever do. Because we think oftentimes the rhema is always speaking. We have a lot of speakers. I, I don't know how many listeners we have. I think the rhema word also comes with the discipline of restraint. And so I just held back and I didn't say anything. And I just watched where this was going in conversation. And wouldn't you know, lo and behold... The Holy Spirit was so profound there that it led this person right back to where they needed to be. And you know what? They were the ones who discovered it. I didn't tell them this. They discovered How many lessons do you know and remember and hold dear to you are the ones you discover? You know, when someone tells you things, that's one thing. Maybe you can learn. But it's when you discover this yourself, it's amazing. You hold on to those kinds of truths. And that's what was happening here. And I recognized that was a rhema word. That was a word that the Lord was speaking to me that very moment in that conversation about what was going on there. And I thank the Lord for that. You see, this is what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to live this way. It's the sword of the Spirit. And then lastly, and I'll close with this, and I want to say this, and, and so you understand this clearly, our greatest weapon, our greatest weapon in battle is prayer. That's what Paul says in verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Now let me tell you something. I was really, I was tempted. I was tempted to put this scripture off till next week and take a whole weekend and talk about prayer. That may come down the road. But I, I really felt I couldn't do that. And, and the reason I felt I couldn't do that is because I didn't want to separate the subject of prayer from the subject of spiritual warfare. 
You need to know how close these are. That how powerful your prayers are. How wonderful your prayers are. Prayers are. Now listen, Paul's strategy for prayer is very simple. Don't complicate this. Pray for everything and everyone on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, for all the saints, pray. Pray. Some people don't pray because they don't think they've polished their prayers up. They don't have that nice, smooth King James flowing for them. So they don't, they don't go there. Listen, it's not about your King James here. It's about your heart. It's about what's happening right in front of you. And I've told you this. You know what my most often repeated prayer is? It's one word. One word. I pray this more than any other prayer I pray. Help! That's my prayer. Because there are so many times I just need, all the time, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need his wisdom. I need his counsel. I need his strength. And I just say, Lord, help me. Help me. And you know what? There's no, there's no way to fancy up the word help. You can't even make it King James. You can't say helpeth. <laughs> you know, you say helpeth and, and God's saying, what would you just say? <laughs> help is a sincere prayer. You don't have to have long, drawn-out prayers. You really don't. Now, there are times you, God may say, I want you to pray this way, and I want you to pray like this. Then you, you're obedient to that. But I can tell you this. When you're on the battlefield, the best, most effective prayers are prayers like that. Help! 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 I need help, God. And I always feel sorry for people who, you know, ask me to come to their special occasions, and they ask me to pray. I, I almost... You know, I thought, okay, do you really want me to? Because it's just like, I'll just, if I say, if, if God's telling me to say help, I'll, just, I'll say help. You know, and then I show up, and then they look at me, and I'm wearing something like this. They're wondering where my robes are, you know, my hat, all those kind of things. And, and when I pray, it's an honest, sincere prayer. It really comes from my heart. But it isn't fancy. It usually isn't very fancy at all. It usually is, Lord, I, I, we just need you. Boy, we need you. Lord, can you help us? Can you give us the discernment we need? What is your direction? What is your will? Those are the kind of things that we can do. And the Bible says, pray this way. Pray all the time. All kinds of occasions and all kinds of different ways. Pray this way. I want to challenge you this week to, to make your prayer and your prayer life your first resort. Think about this this week. Before you do anything, pray. Pray. When you get up in the morning before you interact with your family, just pray. And it just needs to be quick. God, help me. Help me help them get off to a great day. When you walk into your workplace, pray a quick prayer. God, help me to do my work today to give you glory. Help me treat my coworkers with dignity and respect. Before you get into a phone call, before you speak to a client, before you meet in prayer, before you go somewhere else in traffic, pray. Before it gets stressful, pray. In all kinds of ways, pray. It's huge when it comes to spiritual warfare. Let's pray. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, let's pray. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward, and also our prayer teams, if they would make themselves available around this building, that would be wonderful as well. What I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to come two groups of people, if we may. And one is this. Maybe you're in a situation right now that you just need help. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's physical, maybe, I don't know what it is, but you just know there's an urgency to whatever it is you face right now. I mean, it really, it's urgent. I want you to do this. I want, if that's true about what you're facing right now with your heads bowed, eyes closed, just raise your hand right where you are. Say, yep, that's me. Good. Yeah, just lift up your hand. Good. Good. Once you lift your hand up, you can put it down. But I want the same people to do this with me. I want you to repeat after me a simple prayer. For those that lifted their hands, say this. Help. There you go help. God sees your heart. God knows that you just open your heart to be vulnerable to him and you're saying help. I, you, Lord, you know I, I need help. I, I need help. Help me. Lord, help me here. Help me there. What you did is honest before the Lord. Be surprised. I think one day when we get to heaven and we're viewing all this how effective and powerful that one word will be in your life. God, help me. I need your help. The Lord is faithful. 
Let me ask this. Maybe, maybe there's some here that really need the salvation of the Lord in your life. You have not initially put on the helmet of salvation. You don't know Jesus yet. You haven't entered that relationship with him. So consequently, you're, in a lot of ways, you're just standing bare before the world. I mean, you don't have the helmet of salvation or the other articles in the armor. And, and you need that in your life. You really do. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus in your life, I want you to pray a prayer with me. In fact, we're going to pray this prayer with everyone in this room. Everyone in this room can repeat this prayer with me just to just to let those that are praying this prayer for salvation know that they're not doing something alone you're not doing this by yourself once you have prayed this prayer with me I'm going to ask that at the end of the prayer I won't embarrass you or call, call you out but you can just lift your hand and, and acknowledge begin there by making confession and saying I receive Christ what I will ask you to do is receive a, we have some folks here that will give you something that will help you. They'll pray for you. They'll acknowledge that. I also want you to tell someone you came with. Say, I, I received Christ today. Or tell a prayer team member. Come forward. Make that confession. The Lord says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before God. But the way you may start that is just by lifting your hand after you pray this prayer. Everyone follow me. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, save me. Help me today. Today I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. I receive the gift of eternal life. I commit to follow you. I know the old is gone, the new has come. I'm a new creation in you. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for the life that you give me. In your Son's mighty name. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.